Hello, hello everyone. This is your host, Akhil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SAS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about big data governments and data security for SaaS companies and why it's important. Today, we have our guest, Balaji Ganesan, joining us. Balaji is the co-founder and CEO at Privacera, a startup focused on building tools for enterprises to balance data democracy, open use of data, with the need for comprehensive governance. They're focused specifically on enterprises moving data to public cloud and leveraging it for analytics, machine learning, and AI. Balaji comes from an IT consulting background and intentionally moved into sales at a small company to learn and develop new business on the ground. He then used that experience to build and sell a startup and then build another successful one. So he is a, what you call a serial entrepreneur, and I'm super excited to have him on the show. So welcome, Balaji. Okay, well, thank you so much for the opportunity here. Thank you. So uh, I'd love to start and hear about that background. So um, you have an IT background, you went to sales, you found a company which was then acquired. Um, I think your previous company was called XA Secure. So we'd love to hear just you know a little bit about your background and tell us about that that acquisition story and how it came to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, first of all, uh, thanks for the opportunity and glad to be here. Um, name is Balajiganis, and I I grew up in India. I did my schooling there. I was born in the south of India, and and I grew up in Delhi. If you guys know about India, very diverse, um, different cultures. Uh, Give me early age ability to absorb different cultures and have a little bit more diverse outlook of a, and being, being able to adapt to a variety of regions and variety of cultures. So from early on, uh, added aspirations to build uh, and make an impact, uh, not just in India, but globally, man, as part of it. So I did my engineering um, and then went to grad school and did my MBA with a school called Indian Institute of Management, which is one of the top schools for MBA. Um, as part of it, and and then worked worked in a couple of diverse industries. One was a manufacturing industries, and but uh, right around the time was when tech was coming up. Um, this is early two thousands, where uh, when you know tech was getting globalized, India was becoming a position of power, um, and how dot com happened, and there was a lot of energy and opportunities around how technology can transform. In in so it took a shot in in you know sort of going from um, doing general management in a manufacturing company to really being part of a technology company. And, and so joined a company called Infosys. Um, and through that, you know, had an opportunity to work with a variety of global customers, European customers. And one of the customers was Apple. Um, and where Apple was leading, I was part of a group which was leading the transformation on their on their retail side and retail stores, how they can transform as part it's part of the opportunities where I had an opportunity to come to U.S. and and being part of California and a very exciting culture at Apple, and that gave me a grounding around um, how you can change things, how can impact lives using technology, and and that provided a seeding for me to say, hey, well, like why, how do we leverage that? How do we leverage that to solve problems for customers and. Uh, so through that journey from Infosys, went to IBM and went into a small company to learn more about 
uh, how do you build business? How do you how do you generate revenue? Not just leverage technology to use in the customers, but how do you acquire new customers in in the first place? And that that grounding gave me a full picture of an end to end journey, which gave me a confidence to go and start on my own. Um, had a fortunate experience of meeting my co-founder uh, Don Bosco Duray at that time. This was in 2010. And Bosco was a serial entrepreneur. Started. You know, started and sold his company to Oracle at that time. And we played around with the notion of what well, is a new paradigm shift happening and big data was happening with lots of data and security was one of the layers. Whenever you change an architecture, you know, you need to go and rethink some of those core things again. And we felt there was a void in the market. Uh, this was a genesis of XA Secure. Um, and again, fortunate to be in the market where it was right time, big data was getting adopted by many companies. There was a void around governance security, got a lot of traction in the market, eventually acquired by another big data company called Hortonworks. The company became part of Hortonworks. The product was open sourced and known as Apache Ranger. We also started other open source projects around governance, including Apache Atlas. Um, Professora was a take two of that, where we believe we solved the problem for a, a, a subset of big data called Hadoop ecosystem, but enterprises had data everywhere. And we believe privacy and governance is going to be a real driver in how companies think about data. Uh, and that was a take two of starting Privacera in um, late 2016. And it's been an incredible journey since then. Wow. Okay. I want to, I want to dig in a little bit deeper there. So 2010, you find your, your co-founder, you guys decide to build XA secure. You've got this great product. Um, and then when did you guys exit? So I'm almost guessing it's between 2010 and 2016. And what was yeah, the decision? So we started the company, so, yeah, we started the company in 2011, late 2011, okay. um, mm -hmm. between 2010, 2011, we were playing around with different startup ideas. Um, and our company was acquired in 2014 by Hortonworks and they went IPO late 2014 uh, and around the time is where they started open source the open source projects were started um, where XSecure product became open source project called Apache Ranger um, and then eventually we also started another open source project called Atlas around metadata and governance um, uh, and we started Privacy late 2016 um, as part of it um, we had a good run at Hortworks uh, but we were looking to say how can we solve the problem that we solve for big data and Hadoop? Uh, how can we solve for everything? How can we solve for all data and all applications? And right around the time we were, you know, this was early days of people starting to think about GDPR and eventually other privacy laws started coming in. So incredible right since then. And we have seen those um, privacy and governance and security become top of the mind in, in companies. So timing wise, um, it's it's great timing for us, and in, in, in this space, in this governance space, where these topics are now top of the mind at every board level. Yeah. So 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 just to clarify, so 2011, you guys find the company. 2014, you guys exit, and part of that exit, right. I'm, I'm assuming you guys had to stay on, or you guys decided to stay on working with the acquiring company, and then and then you decided, okay, was it was it you and the same uh, co-founder that then went on to find Privacera yep. after that? You guys said, yeah, okay, yes. Cool. Yes. So Bosco uh, and I, again, fortunate to be associated with Bosco, incredibly smart guy, and and be also fortunate to work with this almost the same team that founded XSecure. Wow. 
Um, and and we believe a close-knit team built around solving that problem. So there's a lot of learnings that we moved in when we started Privacera. We don't have to start from scratch. There's a lot of team, the inbuilt team and learnings that we had of solving what is a fairly complex problem in the enterprise world. Um, that we had a head start with the work we have done with Exasecure and Apache Ranger. So okay, maybe you can get a little deeper and share, okay, what were some of the main you know, successful learnings you took? Okay, I built this company. I know, I feel I have experience now. I have a team, I have the same founder. We already have that trust. So you've probably accelerated a lot quicker. Um, what are things you took and then learned and what are you doing differently? Like, did you bootstrap the first company and did you, you know, raise capital for the second or vice versa? Or was it the same? Maybe you can share some, some contrast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Companies are always journeys are always different, even though you can take learnings uh, because a lot of things has happens around timing and in other factors. Um, but the core of thing is you have to really believe and start a company on and with a why, right? So why are you starting the company? What's the problem you're trying to solve? Um, have a very crisp articulation of your mission and not star and as part of it because that drives how you bring together talent and what's the trajectory of the company is. And in, in the first part, we were early. We were the, so the first company you're building. There's a lot of learnings, a lot of mistakes you do. Uh, and we bootstrapped the company. Uh, we are fortunate to be in, in a market that was growing and timing is everything. And so uh, we, we, uh, we were fortunate to be in a spot where the big data and there was a lot of drivers happening around the same time. So we had a, a lot of traction organically. Uh, as a company, as a young company, be able to do that part. Um, and so, and eventually got an exit uh, acquired because we believe being part of Hortonworks, bigger company, we were able to drive those changes more significantly. And we did, and we did with the open source projects. We did with a lot of impact. So we worked with a lot of Fortune 100 and, and you know, Fortune 2000 customers in order to deliver governance within certain areas. But customers always come back and say, hey, what you're doing in, in part of big data is great, but we also have data on-premise. We are thinking about cloud. Our data is everywhere. And we have to really think about how do you impact governance? So, and this was the start of the seed to really think about, hey, you know, we have solved a problem in a subset of um, ecosystem, enterprise ecosystem, but enterprise ecosystem is getting bigger. And if you want to truly solve the problem, and we have to do it in in a bigger way, and 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 we we started to think about the problem in a much bigger sense, and how do we solve that part, and and take those learnings that we had from Exasecure, which is around really working with really complex organizations and in, in solving the problem at scale. And this we are at scale, meaning you have lots of data, lots of people. How do you solve a governance challenges? How do you not do this? How do you not introduce a friction in, in that mm -hmm. part? Because the traditional approaches used to be you either lock down the data and not everybody use it, but if you want to use it, it's available for everything and there's no security or governance in there. And we always believed in that a dual mandate or a approach where you can use data, but also also protect it, also govern it, also uh, put all the mandates in. And that was the fundamental approach we built Apache Ranger with. So we took those learnings. There was a lot of work the community, open source community did. And there's a lot of learnings that we took in into Privacera, which we didn't have to start from scratch. There was a technology base uh, that has been proven on scale. And so we used that technology base to get a jump start. But it's also about people. So some of the core team members that we have worked in the past, we were, we were fortunate to get those same core team members working now on a bigger problem as part mm -hmm. of it. 
but many in the startup in space too is you know you know timing is everything in in our world too and i think with gdpr and california privacy coming up and laws coming up yeah, it took a while but those those was able to drive organically a, a lot of open space for us in the market where we are not forcing this on the enterprise the enterprise are really feeling the pain and, and, you know, we are able to drive organically the market. But given the scale, this is, this is from the start, we believe that we will initially bootstrap it, but we wanted to get company to a scale and then go and raise money in which we did. And so we, we, we initially raised around in 2019. And then in 2020, we joined hands with Axel, um, for our, our series A and then inside partners, Sapphire and Battery King for a series B. Uh, in 2021. So again, very fortunate to work with uh, some of the big brands and some of the prestigious company in the venture part, and because we believe it's still scratching the surface and solving the problem. The problem space is immense and huge. Um, and uh, but it's been a journey where we have been able to leverage not just our expertise, but the help from um, yeah, the best in venture capital industry to not only provide resources to go and expand, but leverage their expertise. Um, in driving this change, trying driving this change across enterprises. That's huge. Um, and just to dig in, in terms of the data, I want I want to understand a little bit better. So, when you're working with companies, this is generally public data that they're they have access to, and everybody has access to, or is this their own internal data, and they need some kind of um, governance, you know, or they welcome it, some kind of governance, because like, hey, we've got all this data, we can do a lot of things, but hey, we got to be careful. Um, or is it you know public yeah. data that everybody has, and we also have to be careful of the public? What, what's how does that conversation look like? Yeah, so let me take an example. I mean, this is uh, it sure. starts with the internal data, and and but it can translate to public and sharing data. So an example we always talk about is a California-based company. Um, and typically, in the olden days, um, financial or healthcare companies would have more regulations on data there because there were compliance mandates, but. It was not universal. So this company was part of a non, so-called non-regulated industry. Um, and uh, they had a pretty open culture inside the company. So if you're a data scientist or analyst trying to go and run some models on data, they could pretty much access any data inside the company because it was a very open culture. Uh, but this was pre-privacy and other eras. So the, over the last few years, privacy as mandates have come in and legal mandates have come in and security has become top of the mind. Uh, the culture now is really to prove and make sure that uh, you only get access to the data you're supposed to for doing work. And 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 that's a shift in culture. That's a shift in mentality for, for many of these companies where they're starting to think about data as not just a um, asset, but they also a liability part. And, and so wow. data that's, now that's has the liability in terms of privacy laws and making sure the risk from, you know, risk is also mitigated while they are leveraging data. And that's a hard puzzle for many companies to solve. And that's a cultural change that is happening within the companies now. So how do you do that? How do you now make sure that all of a sudden you only have access to the data you're supposed to, you have lots of data, so you have to only give portion of the data that for the analyst for their job and only for the period of time they need to do a project. Wow. And, and that, that involves a mindset change, but that involves tools that can go and do that job for them. Mm. And, and so many, many companies approach this by doing this hand stitching and manually putting in 
policies and checks and balances and in every parts where data is accessed. And that slowly became a problem because A, you're manually hand-stitching and coding some rules and two, you're <laughs> introducing a lot, lot of friction, a lot of checks and balances in people. So people are getting frustrated. If you're a data scientist or analyst, they're getting frustrated because they if they put in a request and, and that takes a long time for people to process and, you know, they are waiting and, and if they get, they get only portion of data. If they need to do another thing, they have to go through that process again. So the, the fact of privacy and governance started putting in a lot of manual rules and policies in many of these companies and that became a bottleneck. So if you think about it, become a bottleneck to the overall objective, which is to go and leverage data to do better decisions. So that decisions mm-hmm. could be understanding the understanding the customer. Mm-hmm. Their decisions could be better run their operations, reduce cost, have a better supply chain. There are many use mm-hmm. cases. And mm-hmm. so data has is a oil and data is a fuel. We have been talking about that, but um, very few people really thought about data as a liability as well, right? So which no, is and so the change that is happening in many organizations is now companies are thinking about how do you balance both sides? How do you make sure you're governing and making sure data is not free for all, but at the same time, don't lock it in and, and do that. So which is, and the work done in these, these external factors have created the market for us. And this mm-hmm. is where, uh, this is where, where a tool like Prabhasara comes in and say, hey, we believe we can help you in this dual mandate. We can believe we can help you use the data, but also govern and, and protect it. And we do that by a variety of ways. Uh, but this is essentially the work we have done with the Apache Ranger and the Atlas project in the past. And we have built a layer on top of it, a pretty comprehensive software. There's years of work gone in to get the technology to this stage where we can do that work. We can put in controls uh, at every layer where data is being accessed. And and so again, but as as with any other startup, you need those external drivers. You need drivers happening in the market to create that market, and that you can go and solve that for. Okay, so just just to make sure I understand correctly, so I'm I'm a, I'm a big enterprise company. I have this large set of data. This is power, is what you're saying, right? So they have this source of power that they can use. They can manipulate. No, well, not manipulate. They they want to access this this data to then be able to use it to make decisions. And what you're saying is, okay, so they realize it's you know they don't want to give data to everybody. So they're putting they're trying to put their own checks and balances in place for their employees. But then they're getting resistance that it's just taking longer or that it's not the way they thought it was. But um, so what they when they realize themselves they need to, to kind of control it and where where the data is kind of sit, spread across the, the the company. So why would they want to welcome somebody else to you know what's the benefit for them? Like I've got all this power. Who are you, you know who's Professor to come here and tell us how we should manage our data? And I feel like that's maybe yeah. a narrative that they might be thinking or a pushback. It's like right, yep. this is our data, and, and and maybe the question is they think it's their data. Is it their data in the first place? And then secondly is you know. Why would they want to bring somebody on and tell them how to manage it when they know what they're doing? It's their own data, so they think, right? It's a great question, right? So, and from um, the, the mindset change that is happening in the companies, within the company, it's company's data, but some of the data could be public. Some of the data could be from third party. Mm-hmm. So not every data comes is same. Right? So you can get data from third party and that can come with some obligations. So you're getting data from your customers and with privacy, you're collecting data and saying, 
if you if you recall what you click on, many people now see cookies and click on a website. But behind the scenes, if you read the text, um, there is a data collection purpose to say you're collecting the data that can't be used for marketing. So you will not use personal information for marketing. So those are the data is being coming in into the enterprise from with variety of strings attached. And now, how does it flow through when it's being actually used internally? And everything is getting aggregated and as part of it. So most organizations are now viewing data with saying, hey, it's a shared responsibility they have to make sure like the data is being used in the accordance it was collected. And and so that's where the legal and privacy teams have started getting more weight in the companies and saying, wait a minute, you can't go and use this data for anything. You have to go and use, there are certain guardrails putting that the responsibility for implementing those guardrails are falling on IT teams and who are serving business. And the business teams want access to the data, use it. But the IT teams have to put a governance layer. And, the, and they are putting in manual checks and balances, which is causing this friction as part of it, where there is a void in the market. And what the need for the market is to go and do a more centralized, a more comprehensive way of doing things. So instead of doing bespoke controls in every database or applications, you want to do it more centrally. And this is where they are, a tool like Privacera helps is we are fundamentally helping these IT teams meet those mandates they're getting from privacy and security, but also meet the needs for the business teams who want access to data pretty quickly and fast. So when we go in, these trends are already happening. We are not telling them to do things differently. These teams are already experiencing the pain. And what we are really solving them for is a there's a better way of doing things. And instead of doing manual and bespoke, you think of governance as more central and uh, more comprehensive. And 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 so we go and more efficient and we give Mm -hmm. them a way where they can scale and Mm -hmm. as part of it. So most organizations, when we go in the first call and have a conversation, there is a sort of a light bulb moment in them where it's like, oh, we never thought about this way of doing mm. things. And so they welcome that because that's really solves their problem at the end of the day where governance is a non-negotiable thing. They have to do it. But they, how can they do it in a more efficient way, more easier way? So we don't teach them to do things differently. They're already doing that. They're already Mm -hmm. trying to do things differently. We are giving them a way of doing this more comprehensive, automated, open, comprehensive way of doing things that can scale uh, with their business needs. A quick note from our sponsors today, and we'll be right back. We all know that organic content marketing and SEO is one of the most important growth channels for SaaS today. It's a real struggle for most growing SaaS companies to find the internal bandwidth to get all the content done that you need for your SEO. Plus, how do you prioritize your actions to get the fastest path to results? The trick is finding the right agency to partner with. And that's why today's sponsor is Flying Cat Marketing. I really like the way they approach SEO and content marketing. 
They're full service and they have content experts, technical SEO experts, and a team of absolute rock stars. But what I really love about their approach is the following. They have a process for working with internal experts so their content sounds like it's written in-house. They follow a proven framework, which means they get results way faster than any regular in-house team. And they do everything. They don't just provide you with the strategy and let you figure it out. They actually execute it for you and hold themselves accountable for results. Plus, they know B2B SaaS, which is what we're talking about today. Their clients include ActiveCampaign, Mixmax, Hotjar, and many other big names in SaaS. If you're ready to dip your toes into SEO and content marketing, please speak with them today at flyingcatmarketing.com. And when it comes to there's, there's this term, you know, you know, we call data democracy. I mean, maybe if you can clarify what that means, but there's also the, the openness of um, using this data and providing it to governments, right? I guess it helps them uh, to make better decisions in their state. But, you know, as soon as you give that power now to, to governments is what you're saying, um, there comes with a risk too, right? You don't know who's, you know, there's, they need, they need their own balance and checks themselves, right? Because now they have that power and they can use it for, you know, criminal purposes. You know, there's, there's a lot of things, right? We don't know what they can do with, um, yeah. Yeah. Can, can you share yeah. a little bit about that? What's, what's your thought about sharing that with the government? Absolutely. So data, think about, you know, both, we, we serve both sets of use cases. One is internal to the company. So if you think about a company within a company, there's a lot of business teams, HR, marketing, and sales, um, who are traditionally very siloed. They have their own data. And, and, uh, but the power for within the company is if you can share this data, think of data as a common waterway that everybody can drink water from rather than their own reservoirs. So if everybody pulls mm-hmm. their data and, and, and uses it, you can drive insights, right? So you can say, right. Hey, I, this customer is doing certain things. So you can connect the dots in that way. So as many of this culture change in many companies is around democratization is, Hey, how can every part of the business have access to this data, this common waterway? So if you yeah. think about building access to this common waterway where, Traditionally, it used to be within only certain groups for certain people. So the democratization part is uh, how can we get these data accessible to everybody in the organization and now internally and now externally with third parties. Now, many companies, as you said, you share data with government, you share data with other third parties. We were working with a credit bureau company where they share data from anywhere from retailers to banks and other parts because that data, you can make decisions on that data more easily if you're leveraging the same data um, as part of it. So the democratization is happening internally within the companies and, and outside because you are viewing data as a common resource and a common waterway that can be made accessible and that can give power and ultimately drive the business as part of it. But when you put a water common resource, you need to have laws. You need to have uh, a certain sort of standards and like you need to have maritime laws on, hey, how do you do that? Like who can access that data? Right? So exactly. which, which which data can you access? And those, that's where, that's the balance where governance comes in, which is around part of it where they need to start thinking about early on hmm. so that those rules and policies and controls can be implemented. Um, anywhere across the organization or outside the organizations because to your point you know you you don't want data to be accessed um unintentionally you don't want to be a data to be accessed by bad actors and risk so you want to have these controls put in at every layer but hmm. you have to really think about how do you use this waterway a common waterway and use it have ships flowing through 
and not make it too onerous because the traditional way of doing things was to create your own silos and 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 say stay within your silo right so and don't go exactly. out yeah the, the modern way of doing things is no that's not that's not that creates friction so you need to build a common waterway but now how do you make sure uh, the common waterway is not misused so it's it's used with the um, privacy and the other pieces of things and this is a modern way of treating data is how we are looking at companies now so it's a culture change and you know and in in companies there's tools people processes that they all needs to get together you're seeing a cultural shift and but the enabler of these cultural shift is also a tool like privacy right so we are giving them a modern a modern way of thinking about governance and security this is not zero sum so you can use the water and you can use the to to do that but you can also adhere to the policies and standards at every level and wherever that wherever that water is used right so this is how Makes we sense. want to think about data and and generally you're working with tech companies is that is that your main focus no we work with uh, across the industry so we work okay. with financial companies uh, we work with banks we work with healthcare companies um, the good part now is every company has data so we will work with a consumer products company which collects a lot of data from you know we working with a travel um, tech company which has a lot of data so we are seeing every company and every size has data right? so and so this is what the modern world looks like and you know like i said with data you need to make sure think about security and governance now at the data level so we are we are again fortunate to work with variety of industries uh, uh, both regulated yeah, we have financial or healthcare in traditional and non-traditional industries as well tech companies we have a lot of tech companies uh, some of the biggest tech companies that uh, have lots of data have working with us as well yeah I mean, this, is a, this is a model i looked at um maybe at least 5 or 6 years ago so there's an industry you're missing on it's massive it's the oil and gas industry so that's that's yes. my background and uh yep. so 80, 80% of your job as an engineer no it's 80% but 50% is literally sourcing data and every yep. company has their own data of like what worked well. Certain like they know on the maps of you know where the well the fields are and how it's doing well. Yep. Individually, each company has it. There's no sharing of knowledge. And then there's also government right. public data. So you have to go in and try to seek it in these programs. And there's like the the yeah. regulators who have the data. It's public data. But as I said, a lot of your time just spent it, right? But if you have a conglomerate uh, of data that's you know not shared to everybody, but it's but you can just pull off of it. Um, Correct. Yeah. That's that's massive, massive optimization like you guys can can offer to yeah absolutely 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 Mm -hmm. um oil and gas companies um we're working with a manufacturing company which has a lot of sensors in in industrial iot is is part of it so iot is massive because you can you can uh, get these data from variety of ways so we're seeing these use cases i mean we are what exciting about the opportunity is we're seeing this across variety of industries including oil and gas but Starting a variety of geographies too. So not we have a big base in North America. You know, there's Europe. Obviously, has been more governance and privacy focused. But we had a customer in Brazil. Uh, you know, when they had regulations like GDPR came up, um, and they started thinking about privacy in a different way. So now we are seeing these laws coming up in every parts of the world. Asia is doing something. India is coming up with certain regulations and laws. So we are entering a world where we're going to have very strict compliance mandates and standards around how you collect data, how do you use it, who has access to that, 
and, and, and the companies will need to adhere to that. At the same time, there is a power of data and, and there's a power of common data as part of it. So we had an interesting shift in the, in, in the enterprise world where the future is how do you balance both? How do you balance a, in a, we call it a data democracy, but basically data being accessible to any parts of the organization for decision making. Same data, not parts of data and siloed data. Exactly. At the same time, how do you adhere to privacy and security at every level of the organization? It doesn't matter if you're sitting in India or sitting in the US. Yeah. How do you make sure the data is governed and protected? So basically getting visibility into the data and making sure right people have access to the right data. So it's a massive problem. And I know we're excited to be part of that, uh, part yeah. of the journey. But like I said in the product, it still feels like day zero for us. And like yes. there's a mass, these, these, these trends are massive in the companies. And, uh, uh, we're excited about solving this problem more comprehensively for, for many, many companies. Yeah. That makes sense. I'll ask you one last question here before we jump into the personal rapid fire biology. Um, so you guys essentially become a layer of a piece of technology that they use to help manage it. But I would imagine, you know, you go to every, the different countries, different states, they have their own regulations and then companies have their own. Demands, requirements, uh, demands, I guess that's what they are, but they have to abide by, you know, what the what the, the state law says. Um, how are you guys able to adapt to those different regions? I mean, or is it just, okay, you listen or you base it off the, the government and what they say, and then, you know, they have to follow or? Yeah, I think there are nuances always in, in different regulations, but what we have observed is at the end of the day, there are very basic things you want to do, right? So you want to make sure you have clear visibility around what data you have, clear classification, clear visibility of what is sensitive, what is not to. Um, you want to make sure you give the data access to based on the purpose and that you are collecting the data for. Right? So, so, and you also have visibility of who has done what. So we have seen these common factors across industries and that this comes to basic hygiene. At the end of the day, basic controls mm. that you want to put in. At the end of the day, every privacy law, even they have some nuances, internally calls for those basic standards um, as part of it. So, and we are providing those standards and, and layers. And, you know, we will have layers to interpret some of the laws and provide a reporting back. But the core engine is, is and it's at the end of the hood, every privacy or security kind of comes into the protection and, Basic hygiene is what we call it. And if most companies do that, they will be in, in a good spot as part of it. So, so we try to make sure that common layer is, is robust and then we can add a, a reporting and the interpretation layer on top of it. That, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Baji, one last question. Sorry. I, I, it wasn't the last one, but, um, just a last tip, you know, founder of two successful startups now, um, a new founder listening in or somebody listening in, they want to, you, you want to share any tip with them, um, whether about the industry, about some insights, or maybe a, a market yeah, that should be targeted? I yeah. yeah, I agree. So if you're excited about in enterprise space, I would say first think about you want to solve problems for enterprise, enterprise companies, like if we are an enterprise software, or you want to solve for consumers, right? So B2C, right? So you want to, uh, and that's, that can set out a different trajectory for your, your product and the solution. So that really depends on your background and what you're excited about. So think about your problem space. What do you want to solve? And if you're in the enterprise space, which I have been in many places, um, in, in many cases, you don't want to start with the technology. You want to start with the problem, right? So, mm -hmm. and, and what we see in many, many entrepreneurs do is, 
they have a bias in terms of technology or technology experience in, in you know, taking a technology and say, hey, we're going to take it to market. And I would flip that into a reverse way and saying, try to spend as much time up front talking to people and talking to understanding and saying, and if you talk to 50 customers or prospective customers, not customers, but 50 companies and, and talk to different people and try to understand what keeps them awake at night, what's the problem they are facing and try to work backwards and find commonalities and then build a technology solution to that is, I think, uh, it's easier said than done because most as, as humans, we always have a bias and we believe we have a cool technology. We believe we have a cool product that we can take it to the market. And, and unfortunately, that is a, and you may get lucky at some point to say the cool product is loved by everybody. But the better way of doing things is, is the reverse way. The reverse way is really understanding the market and building a, a solution that is 10x better than anything in the available in the market. But if you spend time upfront talking to people, understanding the problem set, and if you find a quality, and if that's big enough, like you understand that many people will have it, you can build a, a problem because enterprises will buy something that can make their life easier. Mm. But you need to be a, a degree of magnitude better than the alternative. The alternate is not doing anything, right? So alternatives keep doing man, man, manually. What are they doing? So the enterprise space is a trillion dollar space. So there's lots of opportunities here. So even if you're solving a very small problem and if you do it well, um, you can easily be a unicorn in this in this space. So um, that's what I would encourage. That think about problem. Think about always start with a problem and why and why we should exist. And there are enough problem space. And if that problem space is big enough and if you've been built something that can solve the problem better than anybody else, um, you can be a unicorn. That's that's amazing. That's fantastic advice. If you guys are listening, you know, take that to what he's saying and and uh, yeah, follow it. He's right. He knows what he's talking about. That's awesome. All right. All right, Balji. Ready for the, the rapid fire questions? I'm going to take a quick cup, drink of water before we go. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> And Thanks by the way, enjoy team. the questions and conversations so far. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you, me too. Yeah, I'm liking it. All right. Um, Balaji, what's uh, one activity you enjoy doing outside of work that gets you into to flow state? I enjoy, given in California, we have really good weather. Uh, I enjoy road biking. So um, I have a road bike that I can either use indoors um, in, in a in a smart trainer or I can take it outside. So, uh, but that's my weekend activity out. Uh, also enjoy hiking. Um, you know, recently went a trip to uh, Mount Whitney, which was one of the highest peak in the contiguous uh, 48 states. So enjoy um, biking or hiking those activities, which gets my energy going, gives me space and to come back and think about certain other things in a very different way. Nice. Yeah, biking is great. I love biking as well. Um, Balaji, what's uh, one piece of advice if you could go back in time, um, you would would tell that advice. If you had the exact same things you had today, you would tell your your 20, 20 year old self actually. I think I would say um, to my twenty year old to um, trust my instincts a little bit more and have faith um, and give time, give yourself time because um, and back yourself up. Certain certain in in some cases when you're thinking about a startup, I was thinking about a startup very early on. And, um, you know, but, and so two things, one, give yourself time and trust your instincts Two, 
surround yourself with more mentors and advisors and reach out for help. And and that's another thing I, I found now I can give advice to 20 years old because I was not doing that much of uh, where in you know, there's incredible amount of smart people in, in California, in the US and anywhere in the world that you can network who have been there, done that, who are ready to share and, and ready to share their thoughts and opinions. And it's about reaching out to them and having a cup of coffee with them. And I would, I would tell my my younger self to say, trust your instincts, give yourself time, but also surround more with advisors and mentors and learn, learn from that because there's a incredible amount of knowledge that exists that you can tap into. Yeah. All you have to do is ask. People are, people are super usually really helpful exactly. and want to help you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, Valji, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in, in order to continue grow, to grow Privacera? Meaning what's, what's keeping you up at night these days? As a, as a CEO, there's, is, is, um, it's more than a full-time job because, you know, a company and people are growing. Uh, it's a market that is always dynamic and evolving. So you have to keep an eye on how the market is shaping up, what are the new trends in the market, but also make sure we are executing flawlessly against our goals and as parts of it. So as with any other growing company, what keeps up at night is, is those things and in, in thinking ahead of, uh, you always want to be thinking ahead the next few years of the journey and, and thinking about all the challenges we would need to overcome. Yeah. The exciting part is, is like I said, the market is still early. And we have a lot of white space in front of that, and but also a challenge, right? Which means that you have to go and make sure you're educating the customers on a better way of doing things when the customers may not be thinking about that. So we do spend a lot of energy making sure we're telling the customers um, their, our experiences and our uh, philosophy of doing things um, as part of it. So it's an exciting phase in the journey. The market is is growing. Uh, and we're excited about the prospects. We Every day we go and talk to newer customers who have diff- very similar problems, but at a different scale. Um, but part of the startups is, is, is you're always learning. And that's the, that's the exciting part. As an individual, I'm always learning uh, every day, every constant day. And, and that's exciting as part of it. But you have to, uh, as, as I think the one thing I always recommend for other startup execs to do that it's a, it's a constant work. Like there's never stops. Like it's not easy. Um, if you want to get into it, uh, but you need to have a firm belief uh, every day when you wake up to say why you are doing this, right? So why are you going through all this hard work? So you need to have a North Star, you need to have a vision or a mission in mind. And that's not usually money because you can actually, I would argue that you, you have better chances making money being in Wall Street or some other parts than right. in a startup. The, the odds of you making money are very, like odds are very low. Right. So mm-hmm. like it, 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 most of the nine, more than 99% of startups fail. And because there's a variety of factors, right? It's not just you, the market timing, you know, you know, a competitor coming up with something. There's a lot of variables here, but you need to have a North start to say why you're doing this and a purpose, um, which just goes beyond financial part. And if you have a purpose and if you're helping, I think you can run through, grind through uh, all the challenges that you want, because you want to be hit with challenges every day. Uh, yeah. and, and that's a, that's a world of a startup. Yeah. Yeah. I love, it. I love what you said about, you know, every day I'm learning. Um, and that's exactly it. I mean, I'm, if you, if you're open to that concept where you're open-minded and you're learning, I mean, I'm learning a lot from you today just by, by listening to you. So, um, just have to have that mentality and you'll, you'll learn and you'll develop and I think insights will come, right? 
Yes, it, yeah. and it's always both ways. Um, mm-hmm. And I learned from others. I learned from our customers, right? and I learned exactly. from talking to my peers. I learned from talking to my investors. Like, there's a lot of places you can go and learn and adapt. And the good thing about being a small company and startup is you can always adapt and be exactly. nimble about it. Yeah, I mean, I learned from my four-year-old daughter, so we, we still have lots of ways to go. <laughs> Balaji, what does uh, success mean to you today? Whether I know, you said, so money, you said we talked about. So whether it's personally, business, financially, life, um, there's no right answer. How do you how do you define it today? Then, I mean, um, I think I have a backstory in terms of how I approach and perspective in life. Um, you know, way back in 2009. Um, uh, I, was, I was in a plane that took off from LaGuardia to Charlotte and and the plane took off from the airport and, and just being taking off and I hit a flock of birds. And this is Canadian geese, very heavy birds. Um, and it took out both engines of the plane. So normally Airbus can fly uh, with one engine and now we are about 5,000 feet elevation or New York, 3,000 to 5,000 feet elevation on order density with both plane, both engines gone. And and you had we were fortunate to have a pilot called Sully Sullenberger piloting the plane and eventually uh, decided not to go back to the airport because you were not no power. You were just gliding and he decided to land on top of the water, never being a, a successful water landing where but he did land on the water. Um, everybody survived, got picked up by the ferries and, and do that. So I actually survived a plane crash. Right? So like a, and, and that has given me a perspective on life around uh, how life is important, what are certain things uh, important, your family is important, and, and certain things to doing that part. So I, I'm fortunate. So I view this as my second life, and I'm fortunate for every day I get to do what I really like to do, which is do a startup, which all I want to do, solve a problem, creating more impact um, globally across many people. So I'm, I'm, I'm really thrilled to be in the seat right now. So love to continue that work. Uh, but we, at the end of the day, we, we started this company to solve a problem and, and we are in that journey together. So success would mean that if we, if we go and solve the problem and have impact many, many, many global companies around doing that part. So having an impact across hundreds of thousands of companies would be a good success factor for us. And personally, it would be satisfying to say you started with a piece of paper and now you're, you're actually going and impacting as part of it. But over that journey, if you are able to impact our lives of our employees and stakeholders, you know, that's a great part of the journey. Like that's a value add if you're able to create more value for employees, more value for investors. Um, so that is always a a, a big bonus and big plus, uh, a big asset of the journey as well. So if you're able to do that, you know, it'll be great. Um, but for me personally, I view every day as a blessing. And and like I guess I've given my history and I truly enjoy what I'm doing. And that's the key. You just said it right there. That's the most important part, I think, of the journey is actually enjoying it. So you have the, you know, the success of what you want to achieve, but the journey itself is is the fun part. And I think that's what they call passion, right? You actually love what you do yeah. every day. So, exactly. so that's awesome. That's look like exactly. you found what you, you found. Yes. It. Yeah. Awesome Absolutely. Biology. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I, I deeply appreciate, um, you know, this was great, uh, great chatting with you, Akil. And, um, you know, a lot of good questions, uh, helps me structure my thoughts as well. So I appreciate the uh, thoughts and, uh, Happy to be here and happy to answer more questions. If you need to reach out to me, I'm available on LinkedIn. You can search for me, Balaji Ganesan at Privacera or 
Uh, I'm on Twitter, um, Balaji underscore blog. Um, always love to go and hang out with more people. Like I said, I'm always excited to learn from others and, and always happy to help in any way we can uh, from my learnings and my journey as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, Balaji. We'll add those links to the show notes if anybody wants to reach out and, and say hi. Really, really appreciate everything you've shared today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.